0: 4Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give 4Tales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Adam Knight. He's the principal at Knowing Hospitality, as well as many other things, but rather than trying to remember that, I'll take the lazy approach and cue you up, Adam, to say hello and give a little backstory.
1: Yeah, thanks uh, very much, Joseph. It's, uh, yeah, there's a few titles in there, so I'll kind of, I'll cut through them quickly here and give a quick intro. So, uh, Adam Knight, principal at Knowing Hospitality, hotel management and consulting company. That's my primary day job, uh, also host and creator of the Proven Principles Hospitality Podcast and, uh, Newly uh, co-founder and managing partner of Recreation Vacation Rentals, uh, located up in the Pacific Northwest. So, <sighs> lots going on. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so, why don't you give us a little bit of backstory about knowing hospitality, its purpose, and,
1: and how you sort of got into that role? Yeah, yeah. So, my background, is, I'm a hotel guy, hotel operations guy. I've been doing it for 25 years. Uh, I started my career with Fairmont Hotels and and was fortunate enough to have them move me All over the place. Started up in Western Canada, uh, which is, I'm born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, Moved all over Alberta and British Columbia working for them. Uh, My first international posting with Fairmont was in Bermuda way back in 2003. Um, And then came to the US in 2004 at the Fairmont San Francisco. And again, kind of did something very similar up and down the West Coast, went to the East Coast, went to the Caribbean with them for a little while, Um, ended leaving them as a general manager and then moved over to St. Regis. Uh, I was the resort manager at the St. Regis Monarch Beach in Orange County, California, which is now a Waldorf Astoria. Uh, Saw that hotel through a big $120 million renovation. It's a big beast of a property 400 rooms eight restaurants uh, all that fun stuff Um, and then uh, took on a role of VP of operations for a hotel company based in San Francisco and then a couple years later made my way to Seattle where I'm based now doing a similar job for a hotel company based here Um, and then uh, we all know what happened with COVID uh, most of us in the industry got furloughed and laid off. I was uh, certainly uh, impacted like many, many others. Mm-hmm. Um, so decided, what am I going to do with 25 years in the industry? How am I going to continue to have a seat at the table and be a part of the conversation? And and that's how Knowing Hospitality came to be, where uh, just like I had been working for hotel management companies my entire career, I figured uh, there was an opportunity to come in and help independent hotel owners who didn't have the capability the bandwidth or desire to run their own hotels anymore Uh, and so they would seek a third party management company to do that for them Uh, so that that was the genesis of knowing hospitality Uh, out of that came some hotel consulting uh, work and the podcast grew out of that as well Uh, and then kind of fast forward maybe eight months with everything that's going on in the vacation rental space uh, it was a natural extension to take that hotel operations background and funnel that into this exploding vacation rental space uh because you're effectively running a one-room hotel so you can kind of benefit from all of the professionalism and the everything that goes on in the hospitality space just bring that into uh, into the vacation rental space so that's that's kind of is where i see things going right now and and you know we can dive into whether or not i'll go back to a traditional w-2 job or not but you know right now the last year and a half has been um uh a surprisingly uh beneficial time even though at the beginning of the pandemic um you know it was dark times
0: yeah yeah it's good to see that you um found a stride got your legs and maybe you're on a, a new better path that you were supposed to be on which is pretty fantastic um so when we first talked uh you made a comment that was uh, it took me actually by surprise because it's antithetical to a lot of uh, things that I've heard within the major uh, hotel organizations like Marriott, IHG um, who are very laser focused on food and beverage as this last bastion for incremental income and you had said uh, maybe not verbatim but pretty close but FBA, F&B is not a savior and it rarely makes money. I, I would love for you to unpack um, mm-hmm. your, your experiences with that and maybe how we get to a point where F&B can be treated Better to where it is a money maker and uh, does see those dollars and cents add uh, to to the average room rates. Um, so I'd love your thoughts on that and unpack that a little more.
1: Oh boy! Okay, big topic. Um, <laughs> when I said that, I mean it's a it's a very general statement to say mm-hmm. that the F&B doesn't make any money in hotels. And I, th- I think to qualify that, I have to say that um, in in the majority of hotels that's the case, and in the majority of hotels. What does make money in food and beverage is the banquet operation. It's mm-hmm. the uh it's the the catering stuff, it's the weddings, it's the you know, you name it, all that stuff that goes on for groups, uh big buffets, you know, plated dinners, that kind of thing. But the hotel restaurants, they don't they don't make a lot of money if if ever. And if they do show money uh on the PL, oftentimes it's just because expenses aren't allocated the way that they would be in a standalone restaurant. So there's, I don't want to say there's accounting trickery going on, but it's just kind sure. of the way a hotel P&L usually is structured. So, so, I mean, that at, at a very high level, that's usually the case. And there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, the wages are t- tend to be higher in hotel restaurants. Uh, benefits are paid for restaurant workers in hotels where standalone restaurants, typically that may not be the case. Um, there's, there's, the the thing that hotel restaurants are working, that's working against them primarily is that you've got a perception issue a lot of the time. So, you know, hotel restaurants most of the time can be are typically considered either, you know, a mediocre at best three meal a day restaurant, uh, a special occasion only restaurant or too difficult to get to. So mm. there's no outside entrance to get into the, to the restaurant. You, I, like think about it from, a patron's perspective, like, oh, I got to go, I got to go find parking. I got to make my way through the hotel. It's, you know, there's a dormant, like for the majority of people, us in the industry, it feels like no big deal. But for a lot of people like that, those barriers just prevent them from going in the first place. Even if in some cases, if it's a destination style restaurant that could be working against you. Yeah, that's a
0: good point. And and I think it's where a lot of design fails when it comes to thinking of the hotel experience and the restaurant associated with it, its experience. Um, And I think that's why you see oftentimes triple net lease scenarios tend to work out quite well because it is treated like a separate business and entity. uh, Whereas, uh, like you mentioned, Um, in most cases, it's roped into the hotel. It's treated like hotel operations. It's um, operated like a hotel operator. And even though I think hospitality and the hotel side is a close cousin of restaurants, they're not the same. They are different. And I think um, hotel operators probably need to start if they haven't already think of it that way. Would you
1: agree? Yeah, a hundred percent would agree. Like, you know, we were having these conversations when times were good in the hotel business before COVID, like that if rest, if you couldn't make money in your restaurant when your hotel was running at, you know, 75 plus percent occupancy and your rates were as high as ever you were setting, you were setting um, records that you've never achieved before. It's, it's going to be very difficult to figure out if you can make money in your restaurant going forward as we try to rebuild the hotel space. Um, And, you know, if you think about the way a hotel guest would typically interact with a hotel restaurant, you, you know, you, your capture of in-house guests is going to be much higher at breakfast than any other meal of the day. And it's, so it's, you know, you, you could run a 50 to 70% capture for, for the breakfast period, um, of your hotel guests. Lunch probably goes down to somewhere between 10 and 20% if you're lucky. And then dinner might scoot up to somewhere in the 30% range. Maybe, maybe if you're lucky. Um, So breakfast is your big capture of the day, but most people stay in hotels for multiple days. So, you know, if you've got a two or three night average stay in a property, you're not necessarily going to see the same guest for the same meal period every time or every night that they're there. So you may only actually capture somebody in your hotel for one meal. Uh, And usually that's going to be breakfast because, you know, they've got a meeting they're running off to, or they've got, you know, business plans or, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, so try to figure out, so you got, that's the money thing or you, sorry, that's the capture thing. And so obviously that's going to translate into how much revenue is coming in per meal period. Um, But whether or not um, you were making money pre pandemic and how that's working out going forward, the view of restaurants and hotels, I think it's helpful to change them from revenue centers, or profit centers is probably a better way to look at it, that from looking at it from that to maybe looking at it as more of an amenity. Mm-hmm. Is this something that, to your point at the start of the show, is this something that's going to help drive additional Uh, room revenue? Is it going to drive additional occupancy? What can you build as a story around the restaurant in your hotel that may get not just hotel, get more people to book the the, the hotel for them, but also like, you know, we can get into this. How do you capture the people that maybe live five or 10 blocks around you, especially if you're in an urban center?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the 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 code to crack is is how do you get locals to come in. And there there's some brands that have done a good job. I think um I want to say the W Hotels uh have Whiskey Blue um that are usually rooftops. I think um A Loft has tried to replicate that with their WXYZ bar. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's Sorry, ALOF, quite unsuccessful. Um, it's just a little bit too generic. And I think that's probably where I see one of the biggest issues when it comes uh, from a design and experiential standpoint. I don't know how many times we've been involved with um, hotel management companies and ownership groups and the brand where the architect hired designs the hotel and then just ropes in the f outlet with similar finishes. and It just it looks so homogenous and so... Hotel. Um yeah. I think it just turns people off. Um how have you approached new thinking there? Um, or, or have you had the opportunity to think through it differently?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And you're a hundred percent right. I mean, that's the problem with a lot of hotels in general. It's like how do you tell a story when your rooms are beige and your lobby is uninteresting and like you could be no again, no offense to some of these bigger brands, but like a lot of times you could be in a Marriott in Cincinnati and a Marriott in Miami and one in Denver and nev- not know where you are. That's one of the main reasons why all of these lifestyle brands, these air quote lifestyle brands have started mm-hmm. to, to emerge in the hotel space. It's because over time we've in the industry figured out that it's a lot easier to tell a story through design rather than trying to have a, uh, a generic room that is applicable to the widest audience
0: yeah it's almost it's almost as if we're uh the industry is victims of its own um procedures and streamlining of processes because there are efficiencies to have there, but then the output is
1: boring basically, yeah a hundred percent and and you're trying to be all things to all people and there was there's this fear and reluctance to sort of carve out a niche for yourself. And be like, okay, well, okay, so this is who I'm targeting. And it's not that I'm not targeting anybody else, but I sort of know, like through design and you know, food and beverage offering and things like that, that this is the target customer I'm going after. And mm-hmm. and that's that's becoming a thing. But I think we're still, you know, probably many years away from that maturing. Because again, not I mean, not to go off on a tangent here, but like the flip side to that is like now everybody's doing a lifestyle hotel. Now, right. so that's become the new beige room. It's like, yep. okay, great. You've got great furniture and f- funky walls, but like, so does everybody else.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, for those that are listening that don't know, the lifestyle hotels that we're referencing are uh, these newer brands that are popping up um, Moxie Hotels, I think, is from the Marriott Group. Um, we have A Loft, uh, which I think is a little uh, more lifestyle than some of the bigger box brands. Even Hotels from IHG is another one. Um, and and so these, these brands are, are focused on a lifestyle group. So for instance, even hotels focuses very much on the, the physically fit health conscious consumer. Um, and, and with it comes, you know, tweaking of standards like room rates and amenities are in the room. So for instance, even hotels, I believe has some workout gear in their room, Mm -hmm. which is really cool if that's, that's your thing. Um, and I think that's an answer to the the changing dynamic of the consumer, the patrons themselves. And I think you can see when you create such a large ship, you see this in regular restaurants, too. There was a few decades where the consistency of service and experience are what people wanted. And now we're very much the opposite, um, or at least in, you know, where, where they are metropolitan areas or at least uh, even Smaller cities. People want niche. They want unique. They want that unique experience. And I think that's where F&B can play a role in accentuating that uniqueness. Um, what are some good examples of that in play that, you, that you've seen, um, if you have any off the top of your head, where F&B has really married well?
1: Yeah, great question. So, you know, calling back to a property that I worked at, um, uh, the St. Regis Modern Beach. So, when that hotel went through uh, a renovation, um, a, a bunch of restaurants in that that property, and one of them, it's a Michael Mina restaurant still is, Stonehill Tavern. I think it's a um Oh god, I'm drawing a blank on his steak. Um bourbon steak. It's a bourbon steak now, um, mm-hmm. but you know that was a destination restaurant, and that like that's the exact opposite of what we've been talking about the whole time. It, it's a it, it's a name name chef, uh, outstanding product, really well designed space. Staff is on point. Like everything really hit, and that people went to that place. They had no problem finding parking and coming in the front door. Right. Um, but you know our typical three meal a day restaurant that was in the hotel, we really struggled to figure out how do we want to position this, um, to, to make it interesting for guests to come down to and, and draw in some of the locals in the area too. Again, going back to what we've always been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we obviously wanted to, to play into the location of the resort with uh, the beach feel and the views of the water. Um, but, and, and, the the unique design elements of the space really sort of brought the outside in and it felt very beachy and airy but the uh the cuisine road that we went down was was mediterranean but more like more sort of greek style mediterranean with a little bit of middle eastern influence in there so mm-hmm. some of the flavors that came in a lot of the branding that we did in there uh, the restaurant's called a veil and if anybody wants to look it up A V E O. um we did S- super, we, we got a really cool, uh, logo designed. Uh, we did fun things like branded sunglasses for the staff. Cause it's kind of an indoor outdoor space. Um, and, and even like this is going back a few years now, so this is probably elementary, but at the time we thought it was pretty cutting edge. Um, you know, we had like uh, the coasters that we used at the bar uh made a jigsaw puzzle so every single one of them was different, and on the back of it was uh, you know a fun quote or something that uh mm-hmm. that, you know you could a game that you could play with somebody and it was just a just a all of these like little touches that we put in the restaurant was just a a fun way to just sort of inject another like oh that 's neat oh that 's kind of cool oh you know and and it was the culmination of of like a hundred different little ideas that made this really interesting restaurant, and that's I think ultimately what it takes is you got to be willing to take some risks. But there's no silver bullet. It's, it's 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 everybody's ideas and the execution of all of those that make a greater. The sum of its parts, whatever that saying is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Uh,
0: we, we talk about that a lot too. And what we found is ideation becomes a lot more natural and um, innovation becomes more comfortable when there's a very clear brand strategy that people uh, within the organization and on the teams fully understand and adopt. Um, and coming up with ideas like branded sunglasses become more natural. It's like, why wouldn't we do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where a lot of leaders get into trouble is they think of ideas as right or wrong or, or good or bad. And it's, I think every idea has a lot of merit. The question becomes what lens do you use to evaluate whether that merit fits the concepts
1: that you're building? Mm -hmm. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's that. It's a really good point. And that's where I think so many people get hung up on the cost discussions. Because a lot of these things are so hard to to put an ROI against, but you know, is there an ROI? Direct ROI of branded sunglasses? No. There isn't, but is there, but is there an ROI on like using it as a surprise and delight for somebody, for some kids when they sit down and then they go out and then they're running around the pool and you know, other parents see them and ask, Hey, where'd you get those sunglasses? Mm -hmm. So that's how you have to be thinking about this stuff. Now that's a specific use case. That's a resort in Southern California, but there's always going to be ideas no matter where you are that can be implemented in a similar way. Um, even for your, you know, three meal a day, Cincinnati hotel, airport hotel restaurant.
0: Right. Yeah. So when, when we talk about, um, F and B, you had made mention that it doesn't make traditionally or in the common sense, it isn't really a money maker. Um, where can the hotel itself, if that's not the answer, where do, and where can hotels find incremental value or revenue?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a few different areas that we tend to look at. So the first is it, it you know, this is obviously an fnb driven show, so I'm sure you've talked about the food tribes in the past, mm-hmm. and you know every the different styles of of eating, and whether it's you know all organic or paleo, whatever. Choose your diet plan that you're following. Um, hotel restaurants, by and large, don't do a good job of of having offerings around this, or or really promoting that that they've got these offerings on their menu. Or if they do, it's like one thing and one vegetarian thing or one paleo thing. Yeah. They tick the box. It, yeah. Cause it's the thing that's in my head, but it could be anything. Yep. Um, when in reality, when people, people, when they're traveling, they want to try to stick to their diet as best that they can. And if you follow a specific style of eating and you find a restaurant that's doing it well, and they have a lot of offerings You'll go back to that place again and again and again. It will it will undoubtedly increase the capture of your restaurant, specifically in a hotel. And with that, you can absolutely charge a little bit more per plate because you're you're offering these things because you know that it's a scarce resource out there in the market. Yep. So if you're not leveraging food tribes in your restaurant, I think that that's a really um, big missed opportunity. Hundred
0: percent, and I, I can attest to that. Um, I have a. I have a process, I have a routine, and when I'm traveling, uh, for instance, I'm leaving for Austin and San Antonio this Sunday uh, for the Texas Restaurant Association Marketplace, and um, I'm already looking around to find where I can find a Starbucks. Not because I love Starbucks, but because they have that protein pack breakfast, and that yeah. is like exactly what I eat every morning.
1: Not, yeah. not theirs, but I make it at home. So, the hotel restaurant should be doing that, so you stay Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah. Or so, I stay there I'm already there. there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a few. If you want to dive in, there's a couple other areas I think that that hotels yes, can look at specifically. Yes, so the one the other thing that really comes to mind here um, is in room dining, and this is uh, this is a unfortunately it's a dying department. It's it's honestly it's probably it's never really made money. Uh, again, yeah. that, this is a the definition of like an amenity based food and beverage offering for people, uh, and with. All of the food delivery services that are coming in now—I mean, it's just—it's only a matter of time, unfortunately. But until that department goes away fully, it maybe it won't. It, you know, in some of these luxury hotels, you have to have it as an offering. Uh, but rather than fighting people who want to order in from some of these restaurant delivery services offer things that enhance their experience. So promote that people can do this. Don't just lock them in and say they have to order from, you know, this limited menu of BLTs and spaghetti and meatballs, Mm -hmm. get them, uh, provide them with, with the, the plates and the cutlery and the napkins to make it a better experience for them. Tell them you'll bring this up to them. And in that process, that is the perfect opportunity to upsell uh, different items to them. Upsell a cool new appetizer, pre-dinner drinks, uh, upsell dessert or a nightcap after, mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Give the guest an opportunity, um, uh, I'm sorry, create an opportunity within your hotel to have that conversation with people rather than just saying, you know, we discourage you ordering from these delivery uh, companies. Make the experience better. And that, that's a big revenue opportunity there. And the last one that I'll just jump on to. Mm-hmm. Is technology, and so we're seeing obviously, you know, these these um, Alexa and Google devices are starting to become more commonplace in guest rooms, um, and and display. Uh, video displays in lobbies. Um, so you, you've probably seen like reader boards in hotels where it Absolutely. says if you have yep. this meeting go there. Uh, those are obviously becoming digital and video. Uh, that's a perfect opportunity to uh, to highlight different uh, contextual information for your food and beverage out- outlets in your hotel. So if somebody asks uh, on the Alexa device, uh, what time does the pool open? You can say the pool opens at this time, and if you have a bar at the pool, you say, mm-hmm. and, and the bar opens here. And by the way, we have you know these new menu items. Make sure you, you try this or that, or you know, there's happy hour at this time. That kind of thing. So when the guest asks a question about the hotel, you could provide a little bit more information, right. and it's it's very subtle. Um, and and the, the same kind of goes in the same vein as, as for guest texting platforms. So again, this is believe it or not, texting. Is now finally becoming more commonplace in hotels, even though we've all been doing it for 20 years. Um, it, this is the perfect opportunity. You've got guest cell phone information if you have a texting platform already in place. Have your executive chef directly reach out to certain guests in the hotel and then in, personally invite them into the restaurant and say, I'd love to have you in for dinner tonight. We just got this Wagyu beef. What, choose your thing. Mm Uh, would love to have you come in and try it. Uh, and, and then get some face to face time with the chef and the guest when they come in for dinner, uh, or have the concierge do it, or, you know, a front desk agent who checked into VIP, whatever it is, however you, you execute on it, that personal invitation, uh, where somebody may at the, at the right point in the day, trying to figure out what it is that they're going to be doing later on that night. If you deliver it at the right time, that could give you another opportunity to capture somebody.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things that always, uh, I don't want to say infuriates, but it makes me shake my head. A little tut tut is, you know, when you get into the elevator and you see the ad for the restaurant and it's a plate of spaghetti with some meatballs Uh, and it's like restaurant, I'm like, wow, that is, that is the least common denominator right there. Like you, you've definitely checked the box, but man, people need to do a better job of allowing or empowering patrons to quickly position and categorize the restaurant in their world you know, especially whether they're on business or pleasure, they have things that they need to attend to. And if you're just showing them a steak or a plate of spaghetti, you're not doing anything that differentiates that from probably a place where they actually want to go, you mm-hmm. know, because they already heard about it. Um, how have you ever been in a position where you could consult or guide people to better thinking of
1: what we would call on-premise marketing for the food and beverage uh, outlets? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, my role is, uh, as a director of operations and hotel GM, I mean, that was a big part of, of the job because you're overseeing everything. Um, and one of the big parts of that job is making sure that we're increasing capture in our restaurants and that's all encompassing. So absolutely. you know, I, God, when you were telling that story, I had this vision of a hotel that I used to work for where, uh, it, it getting that marketing piece out of the elevator. First of all, it was like pixelated and it just looked terrible. (laughs) Uh, but like it was the most unappetizing picture of a sandwich you could imagine. Mm. And no matter how many times you talk to, talk to digital marketing, talk to, you know, the hotel GM talk to, you know, eventually I got to print it myself and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and replace this thing because they're just uh, for whatever reason there was no impetus to either make sure that the branding is right or that it that it looks appealing to guests or you know maybe it's a low priority item whatever it is but you can't complain about re- about falling sales in your restaurant and then do nothing to try and and elevate the experience or make it a place that people actually want to go, those two things like that dog don't hunt doesn't work that way. Well. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. It's funny because I, I say this to folks a, a lot. It's if if let's just say you are failing or it's not doing well. If printing out an eight and a half by eleven flyer was the solution, like everybody would be doing it. Everybody <laughs> would be doing it. You know, if sending out one email campaign would fix it you know, and, and I feel like it's a, a misunderstanding of uh, the power of marketing, but also how marketing actually functions. And more importantly, I should say how people encounter marketing and what it takes to actually get someone to make a choice. And one little flyer isn't going to do it. Um, no. it's the culmination.
1: Yeah. And it's one guest at a time. It honestly yep. is. It's you're not, there's no, there's no silver bullet here. It's one, it's one diner at a time. Um, and, and, you know, I've learned this a lot through my own marketing efforts for, for, for my company companies, mm-hmm. um, is that you can't just sell all the time. You can't just be like, buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. <laughs> you have to, you, you got to provide value for people. And in the restaurant space, that could be a little more difficult. Cause like, how do you, how do you explain the value that you're providing in in however you're getting that message out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, some of the, some of the most interesting things that I've seen, even, even recently is chefs, uh, during the pandemic, when restaurants were like kind of half shut down, they were doing takeaway only or food delivery in local areas. Mm -hmm. The chef would be on a bike, a branded bike in their whites out there, you know, riding, you know, in nicely packaged items to apartments or, or Businesses around uh, delivering things, and so it—it it, it was just. There's a couple other options, but like, it was trying to like that white jacket, right? There's mm-hmm. so much magic around it. Leverage that. Get get your chef out there to do that kind of thing. That's just one item, but like, there's a there's a lot of interesting ways to do it. Um, and I think now as we're starting to come back, that's going to be more important than ever. Because again, everybody's buying. Facebook ads and Instagram ads and everyone's putting food pictures out there. And and I mean, honestly everyone's doing like how to make a Manhattan or how to cook mm-hmm. a steak like that, that stuff that's almost baseline now.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I expect, let's put it
1: this way. If you, if you can't make a good Manhattan or a good
0: uh, old fashioned and you're touting a bar forward, Hotel. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure if my friend Tobin Ellis is listening to this, he's probably shaking his head madly. Uh, I mean, in a good way, like uh, with fervor. Agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if, if you don't know how to do that, then then you shouldn't have a bar forward hotel. I think what people really want, if if it is that kind of experience, is something new, something unique, something they cannot order down the street. And yes, like teach me how to make it. Guess what? I'm probably not going to. You know, but you got my attention. Um, and Charlie Hopper, uh, he he is a part of a, an agency up in Chicago. He wrote a book called Selling Eating, and I think about two things in his book often. I mean, a lot of things, but two in particular. One, stop using the words or salivate and 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 uh, taste buds. It's disgusting. Um, and two, we all know what a sizzling <laughs> steak looks like. And, yeah. and it does nothing to differentiate your concept, your F&B outlet from the next one. It'd be like taking a picture of a bed. It's like, yes, yes, yes. I know what a bed looks like. Exactly. You know,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's very true. Uh, it, this is a conversation I've had with, with F&B directors and chefs a lot in my hotel career is if you're going to do something on the menu that's remarkable, if you want to do something remarkable, make sure it's it's the best thing that somebody can get that they've or that they've ever had i mean if you're going to do a blt on your in-room dining menu or in your restaurant yeah. wherever it should it should kick ass it should be the best blt anybody can ever get their hands on the best bread from a local bakery unbelievable bacon that you can get anywhere else tomatoes that are grown out back you know like that that yeah. kind of stuff like have a story around it and yes anybody can make one at home but they can't make the one that you make and if i can do better at home I'm not going to your place.
0: Yeah. I mean, talk about a time where that's more true than ever. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was already a decent cook. I yeah. became a fantastic cook over the, you know, working from home and all that other stuff. Now it's like when we talk, when I talk to my wife about where we're going to go eat, I'm like, I don't want to go there because I don't want to pay that kind of money for something I can make better at home. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And, and it's, so now it's, it's even tougher. Now, of course, I think that'll turn down a little bit and we get back into the groove and the grind. But, um, you know, I, I make fun of the Marriott burger a lot, you know, cause everyone from back in the day knows you could trust that burger as much as you could trust the McDonald's burger. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not an amazing burger, then why is it even there? You're just ticking boxes again. And I think that's the general ribbon here of our conversation is hotels have gotten really good at ticking boxes and not good enough at making some statements.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it, it that's what it's going to take. Going forward, it's again, there's no, there's no silver bullet here. Just like we talked about the Aveo restaurant down in Orange County, it was the culmination of a hundred little ideas. Mm. That's the case today. More so than ever. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of spaghetti thrown at the wall to see, you see what (laughs) sticks.
0: quite literally sometimes, right? Literally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, all right. So tell me about the podcast a little bit more and, um, you know, what was your motivation behind it and what kind of change are you looking to? put into the world
1: with it? Yeah. Great question. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the podcast, when I started it, I, I was thinking and hoping it would be a top of funnel sales, Mm -hmm. sales, whatever, you know, uh, sales funnel, top, top of funnel sales thing, uh, for the, the management and consulting business. Um, and that has completely, I had no idea that I had this, um, passion for, for podcasting, I love talking about the hospitality industry. And this has given me an opportunity to have really interesting conversations with people who are directly and indirectly connected to the the hospitality space, um, who have interesting ideas to share. And the, the whole idea behind the show is that we take a look behind the curtain of how some of the best hotels in the world operate and try to provide the, some ideas, tips, tricks, um, uh, concepts, theories, uh, make that available to people so that they can implement them into their own operations. Um, and, you know, when I say directly and indirectly, it's a, I've had a pretty eclectic list of people on the show. Like, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, chefs and front office managers and concierge and that. But like, you know, we've talked to hospitality attorneys and hospitality finance people, um, there's a lot of, because of what's going on in the vacation rental space. I've had a handful of, of VR people come on uh, mm. to talk about what they're doing in, in their space and what the overlap between the hotel world and the vacation rental world is, is starting to look like and, and blur a little bit, to be honest. Um, so it's been it's been a ton of fun to do the show yeah that's awesome and um how how do people find that show where where can they go yeah it's available actually on every podcast platform including youtube it's called the proven principles hospitality podcast uh and the website is the proven principles awesome awesome
0: of course we'll have links on there um adam this has been great thanks for sharing everything you know uh well not everything but a little bit of what you know um and it's been a great conversation and
1: um i appreciate your time you got it joseph thanks for having me on
0: If you love what we've served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. fortales Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021. Vigor Graphic Design, LLC. All rights reserved.